Hi, good afternoon. My name is Leslie Warner. I work for the U.S. Mission to the United Nations office here in Washington, D.C. Um, looking at, um, I think you can see a through line in, in U.S. engagement with South Africa in recent uh, weeks and months. So looking at Secretary Blinken's trip to South Africa where he announced the U.S.-Africa strategy. Um, we have the meeting with President Ramaphosa and Pre- President Biden. And then we have the Africa Leaders Summit in December. Um, and looking at that through line, I'm wondering um, what would you like to see as an outcome of the Africa Leader Summit, and what would you like to see on the back end of that so that we can ensure that we have sustained high-level engagement with um, between the, the U.S. and South Africa? Well, um, I'm, I'm hoping uh, that what's going to emerge is a refreshed partnership between the United States of America and Africa because it has been in the doldrums for several years. And linked to that would be that at the center of the deliberations should be some of what we've discussed here, which is multilateral institutional reform, but also a focus on Africa's common agenda, which is Agenda 2063, and how we make that work. The third for me would be giving attention to the African continental free trade area where the African continent is working hard at increasing intra-African trade, which is one of the lowest levels of trade within a continent uh, that exists uh, worldwide. So support for the necessary uh, foundation to make the free trade area work would be very important. That would be in the range of infrastructure, development of appropriate payment systems, ensuring the customs regulators uh, have the adequate administration, capability in place to make a free trade area uh, agreement work. So those, I hope, would be some of uh, the areas. And of course, uh, we must uh, ensure that we have greater skills development on the continent in critical skills areas. I don't think, you know, we want more arts trainers. Oh, sorry to the arts people. Uh, uh, But I think uh, science is very important, technology, engineering, uh, because those are skills we desperately need. Um, I think as well in the finance and economic sectors, we need highly trained people Then information and communication technology. So skills uh, uh, would would be critical. Um, And we've had as South Africa, very good relations in the science and technology domain, very strong research partnerships between the United States and South Africa. I would like to see more centers of excellence on the African continent focused on research and innovation, because this is sorely needed. Uh, We've got to get Africa to be an independent actor in the world. And in order to arrive at that point, it needs support. So that would be, uh, those are the notes I'm giving President Ramaphosa. I don't know know which one of them you'll raise, but. Thank you. Um, uh, We have a question online. We'll take the next question from Lucy Dunderdale-Kate. Hi, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. I wanted to ask you just on this issue of building international norms and rules that are consistent, what um, countries or leaders do you see as kind of allies in this endeavor, either on the African continent or globally, kind of who are you working with and, um, and, and partnering in this? 
I think uh, the, the, the key leaders are the ones who uh, lead the largest economies in the world. So for me, if we don't see President Biden, uh, President Xi Jinping, uh, and Prime Minister Modi uh, standing together, it makes the kind of agenda I'm talking about very, very difficult. But if the world sees them trying to have a rapprochement and really giving a, a leadership of building uh, uh, the world community, I think uh, the sort of agenda I'm referring to has a modicum of opportunity uh, uh, to succeed. But without those significant players, because uh, you know you can't marginalize uh, such huge countries, uh, you have to find a way of working together. And I think if we are to discuss leadership later, it's developing the ability even in difficult circumstances, uh, to work together for the greater global good. And we need yeah. those leaders yeah. to realize uh, that it is them who must lead. Yeah. And then on the African continent, I think there are key African countries uh, that we need to see working uh, much more closely together. Uh, I think we've uh, improved relations between South Africa and Nigeria, okay. uh, for example, um, and uh, we'd have to uh, really uh, have a good effort to develop strong links uh, with Kenya, which is the largest economy in East Africa. So there's certain countries that I think need to form a sort of Africa 15 or Africa 20, uh, work together to get the continent uh, uh, moving. Thank you. Washington? Uh, back here. Hi, I'm Annie Medallia with Bain & Company. Um, thanks for joining us here today. I just wanted to say it's been super refreshing to hear such an active debate on stage, so thank you to both of you for, for doing that. Um, I wanted to ask about um, South Africa's position on the upcoming COP27 that will be held in Egypt. It would be great to hear what you're hoping to get out of it, South Africa's position, um, and additional considerations, particularly given um, the the need to give developing countries kind of more of a platform um, in this discussion and debate. Thanks. Yes. Oof, it's very testy. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the South African position is that all of us have a responsibility to respond to climate change. Uh, but we also argue that while there's a shared responsibility, it must be understood that it will be executed in a differentiated fashion because not all of us caused uh, the problem that we're experiencing today with equal uh, active economic uh, uh, responsibility. So we're saying shared but differentiated responsibility. This is common but differentiated responsibility. And in order for us to ensure that developing countries are able uh, to respond uh, to the impact of climate change and to reduce uh, the emissions of which South Africa is a real guilty party, uh, they have to be supported financially to take those uh, steps. And this is why in COP after COP after COP after COP, we've been arguing for finance to be made available to developing countries. And at last in uh, Glasgow, COP26, we had the first signs that there is going to be some 
attempt at making resources available because uh, four countries plus South Africa signed up to this Just Energy Transition uh, program, which involves South Africa converting from coal to renewable energy uh, resources and support being provided to South Africa by France, Germany, UK, and I think the US were the four uh, that committed. Discussions have begun on the financing with those four. Uh, We're still trying to get detail as to exactly what it means. Uh, And we're hearing a lot of talk about loans, you know, which means more debt. Uh, But the discussions are are ongoing. So that responsibility uh, to provide uh, support is absolutely imperative. But we're committed to making a change. We've already uh, begun to shift to renewables. Our big challenge is we've got some of the largest coal deposits in the world and we have communities that rely on coal mining for their livelihood. So the key issue for us is as we convert, as we act on what was agreed at COP26, how do we ensure that communities are not left behind? And this is why we speak of a just transition, because it must be just to those communities. We can't just shift away from coal and leave them unemployed, poor, and without any form uh, of income. So what we have agreed uh, with two of the countries is that uh, the funds they make available, we're going to direct at repurposing coal-fired power stations that are near the end of life. And we're going to convert them either to liquid gas or other forms of less-emitting uh, energy uh, resourcing. So uh, that is that is our, our response. But there will be a presentation by South Africa at the General Assembly Summit on, on this matter. Uh, we, have, we think there's movement now. But we're not yet seeing that hundred uh, billion. Uh, but at least there are early signs of of commitment. We'll be able to tell by COP28 whether the undertakings of COP26 were real. Wonderful. Um, let's go to the online question again. We'll take the next question from Zoe Liu. Uh- I am Zoe Liu, and I am a fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, Minister Pandora and Ambassador Fraser, thank you very much for a great conversation. I, I truly enjoyed uh, the conversation about the, the rules and power in the international system. So, uh, Minister, uh, my, my question is actually about uh, uh, the BRICS. And so could you share your opinion with us? Where do you see the role of South Africa uh, in the BRICS grouping? And um, I, I ask this question, you know, in the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and all that. And since Ukraine, especially in the context of sanctions, Russia has been pushing de-dollarization within the BRICS framework, and to a lesser extent, China and uh, India as well. So do you see uh, South Africa may have shared interests uh, with the rest of the BRICS along this line? Thank you very much. Well, I think BRICS uh, has been a very useful formation for us. Uh, We have felt for some time that we need a formation that would focus on key development uh, priorities and on having a perspective uh, on on world issues that uh, might be uh, considered more progressive than in other uh, organizations. So BRICS, we're not anti-anything as that group of five countries. We are uh, pro-development initiatives that 
that are led uh, by the BRICS countries. So we've shared uh, uh, views on how we develop, for example, responses on the matter of cybersecurity, uh, how we share uh, in the uh, uh, higher education domain and have think tanks uh, uh, working together. We also have looked at the issue of uh, uh, the BRICS bank and now have a bank that is functional, enjoys a triple A rating, uh, which all BRICS countries have uh, invested in. We have over 180 uh, uh, different subcommittees and working groups that are extremely active uh, uh, in uh, the BRICS uh, formation. So I see it as a, a very good people-to-people uh, and political uh, uh, engagement uh, forum. Um, where I think we, we uh, need to do more is really look at what are the core um, values and principles that bring us together. And if we are to do what some are calling for, which is expanding BRICS, what criteria will be utilized? So who should come into this formation? And if it grows large, what uh, would it actually be doing? Because as I said, South Africa's view is that the United Nations is the premier global body. And we wouldn't want to form anybody uh, that believes it has some kind of equal or competitive status to the UN. That is not something South Africa would be interested in. So uh, we have had approaches from a number of countries, but uh, we've urged a pause to the other BRICS members to say, let's just think about this a little more carefully, exactly what is it that would allow us to expand and draw in other members and what would be the framework governing our relationship uh, with with all of them. Uh, So it's a discussion uh, uh, that we're having and uh, once we've concluded and developed uh, a concrete view on the approaches that have been made uh, to us, uh, we will then make uh, our stance uh, public. South Africa is the unfortunate country that will be chairing as these discussions are ongoing because we assume the chair from January next year. Uh, so we'll see uh, where we take them. Thank you. Um, there was a question. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for this discussion. My name is James Patton. Uh, I run an organization called the International Center for Religion and Diplomacy. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a a turn here. We in the United States, I think we're experiencing undeniably a a deepening of identity divisions within our country that's trending in troubling directions. Uh, There seems to be an almost dramatically increasing likelihood of civil violence here in the United States. And I'm curious, after decades of working on reconciliation, social reconciliation. What are your recommendations for us that we can learn from your experience to avoid uh, collapsing into what looks like the, the, a possibly intractable identity conflict here in the United States that becomes social violence? Thank you. <clears throat> well, I, I think in South Africa we're still learning uh, to manage Uh, social relations. We haven't gone as far as we had hoped with achieving uh, levels of social cohesion uh, that would make us believe, you know, recording in progress. We've reached the pinnacle uh, of what we'd like uh, to see 
as uh, social relations between uh, different groups in our country. So we've had outbreaks of really horrible incidents of xenophobia against other Africans uh, who've come to South Africa either as refugees or economic migrants. But the second is uh, we did have a civil uprising uh, in July 2021 when uh, we had the instance uh, of the former president, uh, Zuma, who has been uh, uh, accused you know, of various acts of corruption. He was to stand uh, trial and appear before a judicial commission. Uh, he refused to appear uh, on more than one occasion. Uh, the judicial commission approached the courts and the constitutional court found him in contempt and sentenced him to a period in prison. He enjoys support in particular areas of the country. And there was then, you know, great momentum and protest uh, about him, you know, being sent to prison. Uh, eventually, he did actually go and was imprisoned. And there was this huge riot, outbreak of a riot in the province in which he resides, which is KwaZulu-Natal, but also in uh, Gauteng, which is our largest economic uh, uh, center in South Africa. So, you know, that taught us quite a lesson. Uh, we were totally unprepared uh, for the violence that uh, accompanied uh, uh, that riot. Uh, they burnt buildings and particularly economic uh, businesses uh, were targets. Um, so I don't know if we're as good as we think we are. Uh, we've realized that uh, we need to, to do much more. Uh, our biggest, uh, I think, weakness is the ongoing poverty in South Africa. We've got to give more people a stake and a belief that they have a stake in South Africa. We have to have more job creation. People must believe that being in South Africa, living in South Africa, means you matter. But if people don't believe that they matter, I think they'll always act against uh, uh, their country in all sorts of ways. So um, we, we're lucky that uh, we embrace religious diversity at the inception of our democracy. And so we've not had in the religious sphere uh, any uh, conflicts against particular uh, religious uh, uh, formations in South Africa. But certainly, uh, with respect to immigrants, uh, and it's only African immigrants, not European or other, uh, uh, there have been awful uh, incidents. But a part of it is that those who come into South Africa, we don't have encampment. Some African countries have many refugees, but they have camps. We don't. People freely live wherever they choose, and they tend to live in the poor township areas uh, and then uh, establish micro-businesses which appear as competition to the citizen uh, community. And this causes a great deal uh, of hostile attitude uh, toward enterprising you know, African refugees. And it's a most uh, disturbing uh, situation that we're having to constantly address along with non-governmental organizations. What we found is that uh, sometimes politicians don't have the courage to speak up in a positive fashion and to encourage their people to move away from such attitudes. So at times, uh, this hostility is used as a political organizing uh, a tool 
and uh, there's a lot of populism associated with some of the sentiments uh, against uh, our fellow African brothers and sisters. So you need maturity. Uh, I, I was surprised one meeting that even in the ANC, President Ramaphosa was booed. Uh, when he called on people to respect everyone and we're a welcoming people, etc. Uh, and the, oh, was sort of, we're actually not that. Uh, but he persisted, and I think that's what you've got to do. Uh, but if you have many other political leaders who believe you can draw popular attention, if you express a sentiment that an ordinary citizen would express, I think you then have a real problem brewing. Well, Madam Minister, we have five minutes left, and so I think that this this conversation just now touches on exactly that question about leadership. Can you just share with us, particularly our younger uh, members and our mid-careers, um, what core principles of leadership have sustained you through all of these uh, impressive uh, positions, difficult positions, um, both on the political side as an ANC member, as well as on the public service side as a government official? Well, um, let me say I learned a lot of my lessons outside South Africa, uh, because I lived outside our country for many years due to my family, my parents being exiles. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the uh, sites where I learned a great deal was when I had the privilege of being selected to study at Bryn Mawr mm -hmm. uh, uh, and a group of South African women uh, in the higher education sector were invited to participate in a fellows program. Yeah. And in that program, I learned about mentorship, um, about how you manage power, and uh, about how it's important to always learn. Mm -hmm. So learning is important. I think leaders who don't read are really dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, so learning is very, very vital. Two, uh, the word public service was not chosen loosely. Uh, it really does mean you are there to serve the public, not yourself. And where many leaders fail us is that they believe they're there for themselves uh, they don't believe in public service. They believe in public serving me. Uh, so I think public service must be a real meaning for you. Um, and then finally, uh, uh, just working uh, with integrity and honesty, hopefully. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a corrupt leader. Mm -hmm. um, so those would be, I think, some of the things. Just really read, learn, um, form uh, relationships across the world. Don't be isolated and insular, because mm -hmm. insularity is also dangerous. Uh, and then also, um, you know, be honest. Well, we know that you do all of those things. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much for this very frank and wise um, conversation. Um, we really do appreciate it, and we're so grateful that you are the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa at this critical time of forging these relationships globally and especially with the United States. So um, please uh, join me in thanking the Minister. And, and let me also say thank you also for joining this meeting. And please note that the video and transcript of today's meeting will be posted on CFR's website. So thank you all. Thank you.